So food's a big thing in our family. Lots of families have a thing that's big for them. You know, you see some families and they're, they're just a sport family. You know what I mean? They'll play sport, they watch sport, they do sport. They're a family, you know, families who are animal families, you know, and they've always got dogs and cats and chickens and whatever. And they're all... Our family's kind of all about food. We always have been. We love to eat. We love to cook. We always eat all of our meals t together and, and lots of our best family times happen together around the dining table. We even love shopping for food. Um, like our, our family trips to the central market, are, are they actually like highlights. We know lots of the, uh, the stallholders and it's kind of an outing. Like it's, it's maybe sad a little bit, but you know, it's like a day out for us to go to the central markets together. And it's actually been like that for as long as my kids can ever remember. They can't remember life uh, they can't remember life any different than that. Um, and and that, it's really good. It's been really good for us, but it has its downsides. I remember when Beck was about five, six years old, she gets invited to a, a birthday party of a little girl at school. And it's a birthday party at McDonald's. Now, my kids have never been to McDonald's. Right? It, never in any way. Well, they have now, but at that time, they'd never been to McDonald's. They'd never been to any fast food. They'd never had any soft drinks. They didn't know what a fast food burger was. And so Beck goes along to this little girl's party. And if you've ever been to McDonald's party, you know the way it works. They take you into the, into the little party room with the kids. And, and I think the deal is, you know, every kid gets uh, a little tray of nuggets and they get one drink. And so the lady comes around. Um, uh, the staff member, who's of course, you know, like 15, 16 and, you know, whatever, comes around and asks each of the kids what they'd like to drink. Now, I wasn't there, but um, the parent of the birthday girl relayed this to me afterwards, this awkward moment afterwards. Now, remember, my kids have never been to McDonald's. They've never had a soft drink of any kind in their lives at this point. And uh, the only time Beck's ever been out is when, like, her dad... Uh, or her grandfather takes her, my dad, her grandfather takes her to a cafe or something like that, right? So the lady comes around and says to each of the kids, what would you like as your drink? And, you know, the first kid says, I'll have a Coke. And the second kid says, I'll have a slushy. And the third kid says, I'll have a Fanta. And a couple other kids say Cokes and whatever. And they get to my daughter and the lady says, what would you like to drink? And she looks at her straight face and says, a Babuccino. <laughs> right? You know, those little, those little hot drink things. Because uh, that's all she knew. When she went out, that's all that she had. She had no idea what a Coke was. And she didn't know. She, she ordered, and, of course, this 15-, 16-year-old McDonald's girl goes, I don't know what that is, and we can't do it. And this, Babuccinos are quite popular now, but they weren't back then. And uh, Anyway, there was this kind of... I think they convinced her that a chocolate milk would be kind of close, and she <laughs> got a drink and life moved on. Um, but it was, it was one of those moments where something that was totally normal to Beck, right, was really weird to everyone else. And what was really normal to everyone else was really weird to Beck. We're in a series that we're calling Weird Things Christians Do. Uh, acknowledging that we all do weird things in life, don't we? There are some weird things that happen in your family, like our family and, you know, kind of not doing fast food and things. Um, there are weird things that happen in our workplaces and lots of us, um, you know, we work in somewhere where there's just special ways that stuff gets done at our work that no one else would understand, no one else would do, but they make sense to us. And, you know, there are weird things that happen in church. There's stuff that we do in churches or that gets done in churches that if you've been around a church, 
if you kind of consider yourself a church person, they're totally normal for you. We just do that. But if you're not used to church, it is weird. If you walk into a church for the first time, you're like, what are these people doing? And, and the truth is, even for some of us who have been around church just for a while, there's stuff that we do that, if we're really honest, we have no idea why we do this stuff. Well, what, why do we do that? Where does it come from? I mean, I kind of know how to do it, but where does this come from? What's the importance of this? Why do we do these things in church? And so in this series, we're going to unpack some of those things and dig into some of those weird things that Christians do, asking ourselves those questions. Where do these things come from? Why do, they, why do we do them? And, and, perhaps, and perhaps mostly, why is this important to who we are as Christian people? Why is it important to those people who follow Jesus? And today we're going to talk about what for lots of people is surely the weirdest thing of all, and that is communion. I mean, have you ever thought about how, com- how weird communion is? I mean, you eat a tiny little piece of bread, right? And you drink a tiny little drink. And let's face it, what kid hasn't looked at a cup like this and think we get to do shots in church, right? <laughs> Every kid thinks that, uh, surely. And, and if that's not weird enough, if the, if, if, the little, if the little piece of food, if the little piece of bread and the tiny little drink isn't enough, if that's not weird enough, someone tells you that when you eat this, you're supposed to think about eating someone's body, and when you drink this, you're supposed to think about drinking someone's blood. Right? If this wasn't communion, it would be a horror movie, right? <laughs> so let's take a closer look at communion. It usually begins with someone up the front who takes a loaf of bread and a glass or a cup of uh, juice. In some churches, it's red wine, but something kind of red and liquid. And they'll take it and they'll say something like, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat this in remembrance of me. And after the supper, after the meal, he took the cup And he said to his disciples, take this and drink this in remembrance of me. Then often in churches, there's some sort of blessing prayed over these things, over the bread and the wine and and over people. And then these things get handed out to each people, to, to each person. And this happens in really different ways in different churches. If you've been around churches, you know there's all sorts of different ways. In some churches, you come up the front and they give you the little piece of bread uh, and a little drink. In other churches, it gets handed round and you, know, you kind of take one as it goes by. In some churches, um, you dip the bread in the juice. Have you ever done that? Where you dip the bread in the juice and you eat it like that? Um, in some churches, you take the bread and the wine and you just eat it in your own time whenever you're ready. In other churches, you take the bread and the wine and you hold it and then you all drink it together. Have you ever done that? So you get this whole church and if you're the first person, like you get it and then you have to wait till the whole church gets you. Sitting there with your little piece of bread, just waiting, waiting, and then someone says, right, now they pray a little prayer and you all eat it together and then the same thing happens with the juice. And after you eat and you drink, there's usually a prayer. It's often thanking God, maybe a, a prayer of forgiveness. And then if you grew up in a church like I grew up in, then there was this quiet little fight 
between you and your brother to see who could collect the most little glasses uh, at the end. And you would, you would try and get them from all the people, all the old people down this side of the road and down that side of the road. Because when you stack these things, when you got a whole stack of them, they all go, you know, they all go wobbly. And you would see how many of these little glasses you could stack up. But you had to do it really silently. <clears throat> or was that just me? <coughs> okay, it was just me. It wasn't yeah, good. Good. Yes, there's other people that did that. It's a thing when you're a little kid in an old church to collect the glasses. But does that all sound familiar? That's kind of how communion goes. And uh, whatever sort of church, whether you've been in a church once or twice or whatever, that's kind of how communion goes. And lots of people have experienced that sort of thing that we call communion. But why do we do all that? And the short answer is we do all that because Jesus told us to do that. Matthew was there and, and, and he remembers the night that Jesus first told them to do that really well. It's in Matthew 26 for the note takers, 26, verse 26. While they were eating, so it's happening after a meal, a, a, a regular meal together. Well, not a regular meal, but a meal together. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and he spoke a blessing and broke it. And he gave it to the disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them saying, drink from this all of you, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And you might, even if you've not ever read that in the Bible, you might recognise those words because they're pretty much exactly the words that I said before, aren't they? They're, the, they're almost exactly the words that we often use in the distribution of communion. And if you read the Gospel of Mark, and if you read the Gospel of Luke, they have almost exactly the same words, Mark 14 and Luke 22, again, for the note-takers. And those people who were there, the 12 people who were there that night, remembered those words. There was something that happened in that moment that made a really significant impact on them because they remembered those words and they did it. They kept doing that. And if we, uh, if we jump forward after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, if we jump into the book of Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2 happens probably only literally a couple of months after that meal. Right, probably only a couple of months after that meal. We read the description of the first church in Acts chapter 2. We say it's the description of the first church, but it wasn't really a church. It was just a group of people. It was a group of people that were there at the resurrection and they saw Jesus alive and they were absolutely convinced that he was indeed who he says he was, that Jesus really was the Son of God. And in that moment, they'd committed themselves, they'd committed their lives to following his teaching and example for the rest of their lives. Because let's face it, if anyone can predict their own death and their own resurrection and get it right, then you do what they say, right? Listen to the way uh, Luke describes that first church. Remember, only a couple of months after uh, the death, the resurrection, only a couple of months after Jesus spoke those words. Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. 
They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Did you catch the opening line? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The early church was devoted to the teaching of the apostles. And in those early days, the teaching of the apostles was just simply passing on the things that Jesus has taught to them. Right? They're literally gathering those first people who'd heard about the resurrection and they're telling them what Jesus had told the apostles. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. They devoted themselves to fellowship, which is what we call sort of community, the, the, the one another part, the loving one another part of the church. They devoted themselves to prayer and it says they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, which is the Bible language for what we call communion. That early church, they got together. They loved on one another together. They listened to the teaching of the apostles. They listened to the teaching about Jesus. They prayed together and they had communion together. Fast forward 20 years and the good news of Jesus has spread all over the world as they know it. People who've heard the story of the resurrection, who've experienced Jesus, they've travelled and they've started telling other people in other towns and other cities and other countries about this Jesus. And there's little groups of Christians, little groups of followers of Jesus popping up in cities all over the world. And Paul is one of the, the, the key leaders and sharers of the message. He, he literally has been travelling around what they knew as the whole world, uh, sharing this story. And Paul writes a letter back to one of the churches that he's visited in a city called Corinth, a really important city of that day, a big city of that day. And he writes to the little group of Christians who are meeting in Corinth. We've got a, a copy of that letter. It's what we call, well, there's actually a couple of letters. One Corinthians is the first letter he wrote and two Corinthians in our Bibles. And in one Corinthians, Paul's writing to that little church and he's, he's, he's helping them understand a whole bunch of stuff about about living as a Christian and about following God. Because they're brand new and they're getting some stuff right and they're getting some stuff wrong. And so he wants to tell them the good things that they're doing and he wants to correct them on some of the things that they've kind of got wrong. And one of the things that he wants to correct them on is, is they've got the communion thing a little bit wrong. You can read it in, in 1 Corinthians 11 and, and, and read what's kind of going wrong. But I want to read to you the way that he spells out, this is 20 years now, after that first church, after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. I, I want to read to you what Paul tells them about this thing that we now call communion. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, starting verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. In other words, someone told me what this is all about and now I'm telling you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, the night before his execution, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Those words sound familiar? They're the same words, aren't they? They're almost exactly the same words that Matthew and Luke and Mark remember Jesus saying. 
And as I said, if you've been around churches for a while, it's almost exactly the same words that in many churches we use when we hand out the bread and we hand out the juice or the wine today. Here's the summary of all of that. Communion, what we call communion, is something that Jesus started. It's something that Jesus started, that the early church kind of adopted, that they kept doing, and it was done and done. And every time there was a new church and a new group of Christians that popped up, one of the things that they taught them was how to do this communion. And it's been done and done. And 2,000 years later, we're still doing the same thing, virtually unchanged from the way it was done 2,000 years ago in the early church. Communion did for the early church and still does for us today. Communion does two important things for the church and two important things for someone who follows Jesus. The first is that communion is a way to remember the sacrifice, to remember the death of Jesus. And second, communion is a way to connect to the resurrected Jesus today. The first part's pretty obvious. Um, communion is a way to remember the death and the sacrifice of Jesus. And it's pretty obvious how that works. You know, the bread kind of looks like a body. It sort of looks like flesh in, in, a, in a, you know, a rough kind of sense. So um, the idea is that literally as you take uh, that, that little piece of bread, as you take some bread or a wafer or whatever, that you're supposed to sit there with it. And the same when you take the wine, which is supposed to sort of symbolise blood, you're supposed to sit there with these, with these reminders of body and blood and sit there and think, wow, Jesus actually sacrificed himself for me. He actually died. It wasn't, it wasn't a hypothetical thing. It wasn't a pretend thing. His body, his flesh got torn apart for me. His blood got spilled everywhere for me. That's the reality and that's the, that, that's the truth of the cross of Jesus. And it's the thing that we are to remember when we have communion. The bread and the wine are physical reminders physical reminders of Jesus' work on the cross, which changed the world forever. That, that one moment, him on the cross changed the world forever. And, and if you're a follower of Jesus, that one moment changes your world forever, doesn't it? And this is simply a reminder of that. It's simply a, you know, a once in a now and then moment for you to sit down and go, wow, this is what it's all about. Jesus loved me so much that he would die on a cross for me. And this reminds me of his body hanging there and his blood spilt all over the place for me. To take away my sin so that I don't have to die and that I can live and not just live now, but live forever. <coughs> that's the first thing that communion does. And as I said, that's a, that's a fairly obvious thing that makes sense to most people. The second part is a bit more subtle, but I want to tell you, it's no less important. Communion is about remembering the death of Jesus, about remembering sort of what he did in the past, but communion is also about connecting with Jesus in the present, in the now. 
There's something that happens when Christians, when followers of Jesus take communion that invites God, invites Jesus by his Holy Spirit into our lives now. In the same letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians uh, that we just read, Paul explained it this way. This is 1 Corinthians 10, starting verse 16. Is not the cup of thanksgiving, this is talking about the communion cup, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share in the one loaf. What he's saying is that somehow... Somehow in the act of communion, we are participating with, we are joining with Jesus in his death on the cross. And not just we individually, but we kind of collectively as a church that we join together and we become participants in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He says, because we are all one body. One body meaning you, me, us, Jesus. Together we are one body that we, we sort of die together on the cross and then we rise together in the new life of resurrection. I mean, that's why we call it communion. And I'm not much into words, but, you know, communion is like common union, you know, like common, having everything in common and, and union all together. That's why we call it communion. Communion is a coming together of believers. It's a coming together of the church together with Jesus. That's why when we have communion, there's usually some sort of quiet or reflective time. It's supposed to be giving you an opportunity to do that remembering, to do that, wow, the body and the blood shed for me. But it's also supposed to create an opportunity where you can be quiet and invite God by his Holy Spirit into your life and actually experience something of the Holy Spirit. (coughs) For 2,000 years, communion has been one of the ways that the church has invited the Holy Spirit into our kind of group and into our lives individually. The Holy Spirit that speaks to us. The Holy Spirit that convicts us of our sin that points to things in our lives. The Holy Spirit that encourages us. Encourages us by the sacrifice of Jesus. Encourages us with with words of life and hope and freedom and forgiveness. The Holy Spirit that guides us and directs us. The Holy Spirit that heals us. Heals us emotionally and heals us physically. Communion is a time to remember, but communion is also a time to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And in that sense, communion is an invitation to us. In the church that I grew up in, which was an old traditional church, the guy always used to say, we used to have to come to the front and kneel to get communion. Uh, If anyone's been into one of those big old churches, you actually came and you knelt on these little cushioned things and put your hands out and they gave you the communion. But one of the things that he would always say, he always said the same thing every time he had communion, but one of the things he would always say is he would say, come because the table is prepared. Anyone's heard that? Because communion is an invitation. 
It's an invitation to come and remember, but it's also an invitation to come and experience the Holy Spirit. In that sense, communion is a choice that we make. And I know sometimes you can kind of sit in church and think, communion is one of those things we do. You know, someone says communion, you go, you get the bread, the wine, you say, thanks very much. You, have, you know, it's kind of done. Communion is an invitation to you individually. It's an invitation for us together to connect with the Holy Spirit of God. It's an invitation for us, as James would say, for us to draw near to God that he might draw near to us. It's an invitation. And so we need to make a choice in communion to come before him and to sort of open ourselves and to say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Holy Spirit, minister to me. Like, come and do what you want to do in me. Speak to me and challenge me and encourage me and change me and convict me. Heal me. Communion has always been for the church. That's why the church kept doing communion, you know. That's why when they talked about the church, you know, and they listed just the, the one, two, three, four, five things, that communion made the list. It was so central to them because it was a key moment for the church to experience the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Communion is a time to remember. It's also a time to experience Jesus through the Holy Spirit. 